1: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
2: Seriously, I want to know. The BBC is funded by the British public. The people who work for it are called journalists. They are in possession of a photograph of one of the sons of Queen Elizabeth, Prince Andrew, still the Duke of York still on the public payroll, which is so shocking that it could bring down the monarchy and the BBC will not publish it. Why? Because Prince Andrew won't let them. Who's Prince Andrew to determine the editorial judgments of the BBC? I give them notice now. I intend to campaign to see that photograph. It can be suitably pixelated if it is as dirty as it sounds or it can be in other ways, any other persons involved, if there are any, and they are persons, uh, then they can be uh, pixelated or disguised. But I want to know what a member of the Royal House has been doing in front of a camera that is a camera owned by the British Broadcasting Corporation. It's a side issue, but it's one that's just come to my attention. It was published in the Mail on Sunday today. The photographer himself says uh, that it is in an earth-shaking photograph. Well, I think we ought to see it, don't you think? Certainly 19 years ago today, an earth-shaking event was uncovered to the British public. Dr David Kelly, the eminent weapons scientist, uh, disarmament expert, a man that was destined very shortly for a knighthood, a man that was a pillar of the British deep state, was found dead on Harrowdown Hill, not far from his home, though oddly, It took quite a few hours to find him so close to the door that he supposedly left for his final walk. I'm picking my words carefully because those of you who've already seen my film directed by the terrific Irish director Sean Murray, a man you'll be hearing a lot about over the course of his career, if you've seen our film Killing Kelly, you already know that we don't believe that David Kelly committed suicide. We don't know if he was murdered, but we do know that his suicide was faked, and I'm actually of the view that that is worse than if he was murdered. If he was murdered, it might have been in a rage by someone, it might have been a, an unlucky punch, it might have been a rabbit punch, a sucker punch. Might have been entirely unpremeditated. But if he wasn't murdered, then his suicide was faked. And if it was faked, that means there was a conspiracy within the British state, presumably, or some other state actor of another country, uh, which led to one of the most ham-fisted attempts at faking a suicide in all history if you watch our film you'll already know that he simply could not have committed suicide he simply could not have died on Harrow Downhill apart from a hundred other reasons there wasn't any blood at the scene and if he would bled out he would have lost three quarters of his circulation he would have lost about six litres of blood he would have been lying in a pool of blood but the only blood that was there was a 50 pence piece size blood stain on his jeans and one or two droplets on the nettles in which he had settled down for a comfortable death. There were no fingerprints on the knife, no fingerprints on the water bottle, no fingerprints uh, on the sheaf of tablets which he might not even according to the medical information that we reveal even have taken a single one but if he did he only took a single one but how could there be no fingerprints on the metallic sheaf from which that tablet supposedly came how could there be no fingerprints on the knife with which he cut his ulterior artery and became the only man ever to die from a cut to that artery except if they were in a bath of hot water with a tourniquet around their arm. How could there be no fingerprints on anything? Well the answer to that is obvious. The fingerprints were wiped and who wiped them and why and was he with his bad arm could not have cut his ulterior artery someone standing to the side of him very easily could have so if that's what happened even post-mortem we need to know who was that person and why this eminent British scientist was done to death or after whose natural death perhaps under interrogation perhaps in a security service safe house, perhaps in, say, South End. Why, if he died naturally, it was thought necessary and proper to fake a suicide? Well, the film doesn't provide the villain of the piece, but it points in a direction that is not difficult to follow. Talking of murder Most Foul, joe biden who campaigned in poetry for the presidency of the united states who announced that saudi arabia would henceforth if he were president be treated as a pariah his word, not mine a pariah how he was going to stop u.s support for the murderous saudi war against the people of yemen the poorest people in the entire Middle East and one of the poorest people on the earth. he was going to deal with the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman as a pariah until yesterday when he visited him in his royal palace why Joe Biden did that is very difficult to discern it was presumably to force the Saudis to pony up more oil production to bring down the price of petrol and diesel at the pumps in America and in Europe where in Britain at least it has now reached 10 pounds per gallon 10 pounds per gallon but if that was the purpose it failed because Mohammed bin Salman gotta say this for him he's got balls He made it clear to Joe Biden that they would not be increasing their oil production. He told them, we're a member of OPEC. It's a cartel. Our cartel allows the market to dictate the price. We don't pump extra oil to bring down the price, not for you or for anybody else. So if that was the goal, it has comprehensively failed. If it was to reset relations, with the Saudi Desert Kingdom, which were upset by the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, an American resident with a green card, living and working in Washington, as a columnist for the biggest and most important of all American newspapers, who was cruelly murdered on the orders of the aforementioned Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman if it was an attempt to get over that issue well that has comprehensively failed also because not 24 hours after the famous meeting between Joe Biden and MBS both of them are calling each other liars because Biden under domestic pressure claimed that he had raised the issue of Khashoggi with MBS and demanded explanations, demanded recompense. But MBS has denied that any such thing was ever raised, although MBS says that he said to Joe Biden, well, you know, America's made quite a few mistakes in the human rights field itself citing the example of Abu Ghraib the American concentration camp in Iraq near Baghdad in which thousands of Iraqis were tortured and sexually humiliated, videotaped by their torturers for their edification in the barracks afterwards, reduced to being leashed, being piled naked on top of each other forced to perform indecent acts upon each other having leashes put around their necks that's what you did president biden you were a shell for the iraq war george bush might have been the president but you were his chief shell in the senate of the united states so don't you come here talking about the human rights of one man Well, if MBS did say that, then he's beginning to grow on me. I've got to tell you that. If he did have the balls to say he wasn't producing any more oil, if he did have the balls to bring up America's human rights record, if it's true that Saudi Arabia is now a candidate member of the BRICS organisation, the kind of alternative G seven, but much bigger and much wealthier than the actual g7 if it's true that MBS is going to trade oil for the Chinese currency RMB if all of that is true then we're seeing the birth either of a newly independent Saudi Arabia or the death of the former hegemon the Empire Joe Biden's United States and if either of those two options is true then sing hallelujah across the land across all lands because the fact that even a satrapy like Saudi Arabia can now deny the demands being made in person by the president of the United States can now throw back in the face of the United States their Criticism of human rights uh, blemishes and atrocities on their record. That tells you that the new world, which was struggling to be born, is now beginning to emerge into the sun which is rising in the East. I personally think that Joe Biden would have been better staying at home to fix house, don't you? After all, the United States is in a state of such sclerotic decline, in such bad odour everywhere in the world because of its own problems with its own people and its own actions in other people's countries. Joe Biden would have been better staying at home. And if the purpose of the visit was, as was widely trailed, the creation of a new NATO, a Middle East NATO involving Israel, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia, it would appear that that too has failed. Nobody wants to be associated with the United States of America. When are people going to understand? that the tectonic plates have shifted the United States has nothing to offer anyone except negatives sure if you don't play ball it can kill you if you don't play ball it might overthrow you if you don't play ball it might sanction and seek to wreck your economy but it cannot actually do anything for you they don't build bridges and roads and ports and airports like the Chinese do for countries now all over the world developing countries now seeing their infrastructure rise in front of their eyes built not by the United States but by China the United States can only try and knock them down with military hardware but it has not the wherewithal, let alone the political will, to actually do anything good for anybody. And this is now evident. It is crystallizing in the encounter between Biden and MBS in Saudi Arabia this week, in my view at least. Now let me turn, because our first guest is an expert on the Persian Gulf area and on the Middle East in general and I'll be talking to him in more depth about these matters let me turn to the donkey derby that is underway and now in its later stages down to the last five candidates as to who will be Britain's prime minister in September you may think it's a poor kind of democracy when less than 200,000 people most of them over the age of 70 most of them men overwhelmingly white elderly men will pick the next Prime Minister of Britain with no scintilla of hope that the people will get to have their say In a general election, but part that uncomfortable issue of basic democracy aside. We now have five candidates left. I'm in no doubt of which is the worst. Liz Truss is a clear and present danger to the world and must be defeated. She is the one that goes around dressed in a dead woman's clothes. As I joked on Wednesday on the Galloway Show, it's kind of like Norman Bates' mother sitting on that rocking chair in the motel in Psycho. You look up, you see Norman Bates' mother, but in fact she's dead. You look at Liz Truss, you're looking at Margaret Thatcher. Except Margaret Thatcher is dead and Liz Truss, I knew Margaret Thatcher, you ain't no Margaret Thatcher you're not fit to carry our handbag you can dress up in our clothes all you like but you'll never be Margaret Thatcher and the good news is it doesn't look like she's ever going to be the prime minister either she has crashed and burned she's trussed up like a turkey she's at the bottom of the poll of the five candidates left in every opinion poll taken it's very clear who the establishment want to win. Although I'm not sure why, maybe because they've got a safe pair of hands in Plan B, Sir Keir Starmer, to fall back on if necessary. But the establishment, the beltway, inside the bubble, they want Dishi Rishi Sunak. Five foot tall, but worth three billion pounds. A man of no substance, but plenty of money. A man who knows the value of nothing but the price of everything. He is the front runner amongst the members of parliament who have the first say. But there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that whomsoever is in the ballot that goes out to the members when the final two have been arrived at will defeat Rishi Sunak. For lots of reasons, not all of them by any means honourable, but some of them semi-honourable. It's quite clear and evident that Rishi Sunak and Dominic Cummings brought down Boris Johnson as a matter of premeditated conspiracy. A lot of Conservative members don't like that. They don't like such conspiracies and some of them, a lot of them, quite like Boris Johnson so they see him as a snake as a backstabbing snake and they wouldn't be wrong he could crawl under a snake wearing a top hat but the establishment want him so he will be in the final ballot the only question is who will he be up against I still believe that the woman I backed in betting terms not in any other terms at 40 to 1 many months ago when hardly anyone knew her name Penny Mordaunt I believe that she will be in the final ballot and it follows I believe that she will be elected as Britain's new Prime Minister but they ain't half out to get her she's not half finding out that the heat in the kitchen can be very intense indeed and that her colleagues are all snakes really they're trying to smear her on her personal life, on her Royal Naval service life, trying to smear her over woke issues, trans, gender rights and all the rest. She's under attack from both left and right. The question is, in the televised debates tonight, will she be steady enough under fire to come through it? If she doesn't, then if you'll forgive this pun, the dark horse is Kami Badenoch. Kami Badenoch is a young Nigerian woman of just 42 years. None of you, virtually none of you, had ever heard of her before. But she has emerged in Truss's place as the darling of the Tory right of the Brexit movement. And it could just be that the Prime Minister has chosen from a short list of two, one of them an African Indian, and the other a Nigerian African in the Conservative Party in Britain. Wouldn't that be a turn-up for the books? Now the YouTube poll function has failed. I hope we haven't been sabotaged, but it is running on my Twitter feed and on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway. And it's a simple one. Who will be the next British Prime Minister? Kemi Badenoch, Penny Mordaunt, Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss. I've dropped Tom Tugendhat because you can only have four options in a Twitter poll and he's going out in the next round anyway. So get voting on Twitter, get voting on the Telegram channel and we'll try and find out why the poll function on YouTube is not working Dino Pantelaucas has donated as usual his $9.99 his weekly contribution to the fighting fund solidarity from New York Dino God bless you that fighting fund is to bring back the Wednesday midweek mother of all talk shows on October the 12th if you want to help donate on the super chat function why don't you and we've already brought the uh, podcast back. And many, many people are grateful for that. Chris John Wright donated £5. Thanks, Chris. Kayed Al Jama donated $99.99. Kayed, thank you very much. God bless you and yours. You do not know how much this world appreciates you, brother. I salute you. Thank you for such a handsome donation. Efri Long donated two Australian dollars and 99 cents, says, God bless you, your wife, and all your wee bairns. Thank you very much, Efri. There's uh, some of them here in the room tonight, and they're having to be very silent indeed. Zook Zookski donated five pounds, says, Evening GG and chat. Thank you, Zook, as always, for your regular donations. That's what we want, regular, small, regular donations. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading
3: job sites. So start looking in the right place with LinkedIn. You can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash/achieve today.
2: We'd have a fighting. Warfare. We could have a daily mother of all talk shows if only you valued it enough. Now, Syed Muhammad Marandi is the Professor of English and Orientalism at the University of Tehran also one of the most popular guests we've ever had on the mother of all talk shows racking up big numbers for his peerless analysis of events in his country in his region and indeed global issues and I'm very glad to say he joins me again now Uh, Professor Marandi thank you for joining us. I'm very happy to see you again. Uh, Let me get your uh, observations first on Joe Biden's, I think, ill-fated visit to the region. How did you see it?
4: Yes, I agree. I think it was a major failure for the United States. The optics were not good. Uh, He did not look strong. He looked lost at times, but I think the most important issue was the meetings with Mohammed bin Salman, how he was greeted, how he had promised not to have, or he had informed everyone that he would not have a independent meeting with him a separate meeting with him, and he did. So it all looked pretty terrible for the United States. It showed not only Biden as weak, but it showed the United States as weak, because when you compare How Mohammed bin Salman sat beside uh, the previous president, Trump, and how Trump was holding a cardboard paper where he was showing the different weapons that the Saudis were going to purchase from the United States. And Mohammed bin Salman was sitting there like a a very uh, decent young son of the US president. Uh, a, a, an obedient son of the US President, when you compare the two then you, you do see how the status of the United States has declined in, in less than four years.
2: I said in my opening remarks that it either, it could be both of course, but it either shows the new sense of independence from the father the United States of the Saudi leadership under MBS or it shows the decline of the United States to the point almost of caricature which of these two in your view is it or is it really both
4: I think it's mostly the decline of the United States the the Saudis have been making a lot of money over the last four four months due to the war but Saudi Arabia does have a lot of problems because of the uh, its own war in Yemen and even though there's a ceasefire still there are enormous numbers of troops at the borders and uh, their armed forces is still uh, not able to go back to normal so the, the amount of money being spent by the Saudis on on the military is, is still extraordinarily high so I would say that it is probably mostly the decline of the United States but I also think it may be something else I I think that maybe some relative of uh, Trump, someone like Kushner and maybe others, are in contact with Mohammed bin Salman. And maybe they are encouraging him not to be too nice to Biden or his administration. And of course, uh, Mohammed bin Salman has no reason to like Biden anyway because of the comments that he had previously said. Uh, or made about Mohammed bin Salman and Saudi Arabia but I think maybe he is back he's uh, betting on the defeat of the Democrats in November during the midterm elections and uh, the defeat of uh, the incumbent or the democratic candidate in the presidential elections in 2024
2: let's break down some of the issues then uh, that the tour uh, brought up uh, I've said already that if the purpose was to get the Saudis to pump more oil, that's already failed because he's told them that they won't and that they will stick to the policy of, uh, of, of OPEC. Uh, were you surprised at that? Did you think the Saudis would try to give Biden something on the oil front?
4: Well, for two reasons, no, I wasn't surprised. One is because Saudi Arabia has had many financial problems uh, due to its war in Yemen, this genocidal war. And therefore, to sacrifice for Biden, someone who they don't like, to decrease the price of oil in order to benefit, in order for Biden to benefit from it, doesn't make much sense. He doesn't like Biden and he needs the money anyway. for for the hundreds of billions of dollars that he's lost in Yemen. But there's also the case of Macron. Last week, when he was speaking to Biden, whether intentionally in front of reporters or not, probably, it, it was probably intentional, but he was saying to Biden that Saudi Arabia simply doesn't have more oil to pump. It can't pump more than what it already is pumping. And I I don't know which is true, but because of when you put these two together, it still makes it very difficult for one to be surprised uh, that uh, nothing really has happened uh, with regards to an agreement over the pumping of oil or the extra, extra pumping of oil from Saudi Arabia.
2: And what about the other? not necessarily avowed intention but widely trailed and briefed intention to create this new middle east nato uh, to confront your country iran with jordan israel saudi arabia forming uh, the core of uh, a new middle east nato that doesn't appear to have gone anywhere either
4: no one really took that serious seriously from the very beginning Most of these countries are very weak, and they are only propped up with the support of external powers. Uh, Some of them are dots on the map, and also they are very hostile towards one another. The Qataris and the Saudis may smile when they meet each other, but Qatar is still very afraid of Saudi Arabia, because just a few years ago, Mohammed bin Salman turned against Qatar and imposed a siege on the country. And the only country that was there to help Qatar was Iran. It could only, its flights and its ships and its um, cargo ships could only get to Qatar through Iranian waters. And uh, Qatar knows that it can never side with Saudi Arabia against Iran because that would make it extremely vulnerable to Saudi Arabia. And it's someone like Mohammed bin Salman, who is not a very stable person, uh, is, is not going to be trusted in Qatar. Remember, Mohammed bin Salman beat up the former prime minister of Lebanon and literally took him hostage. He murdered Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi Consulate. He carried out a genocidal war. He imposed this siege on Qatar. He's not the sort of person who learns lessons from his previous mistakes. And the same is true with a country like Oman, which is also concerned about Saudi Arabia and worried about what the Saudi intentions are towards their country and the Emirati intentions for that matter. And The same is true with Qatar. It is also afraid of the Emirates. So when we see these divisions in the Persian Gulf region and the fact that some of these countries actually want Iran to be a counterbalance, then it really makes this whole notion of a NATO, uh, an Arab NATO or an Israeli Arab NATO. Impossible to imagine, and of course, the closer these Arab countries become to Saudi Arabia, the, I mean, to the closer that these Arab countries come to Israel, the the, the closer the relationship, the uh, the more we see they they in, that they interact with one another makes them increasingly unpopular on the streets of the whole of West Asia, and North Africa. I I don't think that. Uh, Saudi Arabia would benefit from an alliance with the Israelis. They may the the regime, the ruling family, Mohammed bin Salman may think so, but I'm quite sure that there would be a lot of very unhappy Saudis uh, who silently or quietly would be thinking about uh, the future of their country and how they could bring about change in that country. So this would only increase discontent. And, and finally, all of these countries have had very good relations with Saudi, with the Israelis. Uh, during the, the war between Hezbollah and Israel, all of them were uh, backing Israel, they were all supporting Israel. The only difference is that now they're coming out of the closet, and uh, the more this becomes visible in the eye of the Arab public and beyond, at least in the global south, I think the more vulnerable these regimes become. Quite
2: so. Uh, finally, what about American Iranian relations? Uh, this is again a president who uh, championed the Iran nuclear deal when Obama uh, introduced or well, signed it. Uh, he's a man who said he would re enter uh, the Iranian nuclear deal. Yet now he's in Israel threatening Iran. Uh, that they will take military action against Iran and time is running out and uh, Iran better stop pussyfooting around with the negotiations and so on. Give us your view on where these things stand.
4: Well it is interesting that during the election campaign he was saying that he's going to turn Saudi Arabia to a pariah state and now he's done the office. And during the election campaign he attacked Trump for his maximum pressure campaign and for exiting the nuclear deal. And now he's pursuing the same policies that Trump was pursuing. So uh, this, this I think, was expected. On the campaign trail, uh, American presidents will say one thing, and in, in, in the real world, they do the opposite. It's, it's normal behavior for them. So it wasn't a surprise in Tehran when he continued Going down the same path as did Trump. In fact, I was at a uh, on an online session with an American think tank that's close to the Democratic Party, and I told them right before he took office that he is not going to sign any presidential decree to remove sanctions, even though these people who were with me in the session and who were and who are in Washington, they were. Expecting for some reason that he would sign a presidential decree and return to the JCPOA literally from day one, but I think that the problem with the United States is that uh, it's not it, its hostility towards Iran is a very irrational one. It is a very emotional uh, hostility. It's not based on reason or logic. One would imagine that, especially under current circumstances, in europe and with the crisis and war in ukraine that the united states would want to de-escalate tensions with iran in order to improve the uh energy market or the situation in the energy market and to bring down prices but that's something that the united states can't do it can do it to a degree with venezuela it can do it to a degree with other countries but when it comes to iran it seems like that's just a step too far their their the hatred is partially based upon their uh, their cultural affinity with Israeli regime and with Zionism, the anger of the, due to the fact that Iran broke away from the United States after the revolution and and developed a model of gov- governance that was that was independent intellectually speaking from uh, Western intellectual thought. Um, and this is something that the Americans simply could never, all of these, putting all of these together, was something that the Americans just could not accept. But I think that when we look at the reality on the ground and the crisis in Ukraine, the Americans have just too much on their hands. The Europe is moving towards a very dangerous situation and the United States is not doing well at all either. It is really in no position to increase tensions with Iran. That would send prices, oil prices, energy prices through the roof, and it would destroy the global markets. And US allies in the Persian Gulf region are exceptionally vulnerable because of all their oil assets and all of their key installations are either in the Persian Gulf itself or on the shores of the Persian Gulf. And therefore, they're extremely vulnerable to any Iranian counterstrike. And so I think that when the United States, under previous presidents, who were not in such a difficult situation, when they never really attempted to attack Iran, I think really it's impossible for Biden under these circumstances to do so.
2: Professor Morandi, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Much obliged to you, sir, for your wisdom. Let's go to Idaho for our first call of the evening, where our good friend Eve is on the line eve welcome george um
5: yes it's about ukraine um there is a rumor that russia after they get the donbass will make an offer to basically freeze the front line keep what they got and um stop the war and you know the usual uh, nato and all that the rumor is that the West is going to refuse. And when you look at what the West got during that war, um, they lo- uh, Ukraine lost 100,000 people. Germany is the industrialized, because everybody knows that the, the basic equation of Germany is uh, g- poor German plus carbon gives rich German with... Uh, carbon dioxide and if they don't like the carbon or they don't want to emit carbon dioxide, uh, well, they, it will be a poor Germany. Um, United States uh, is losing its financial system. Sri Lanka is, uh, is, uh, in very bad shape. There, there is this, uh, this price of food and so on. So what is there for the West? And finally, I realized something absolutely awful is that the IMF is going or may give in October Ukraine $700 billion which will, which will land in the pocket of the oligarch and, and the people who help them. This is a heist. Uh, Ukraine is... At this stage, it's a height because everybody knows that we we will not weaken Russia that much. You know, right now, uh, Russia is going to end up in better shape, in fact, that, uh, than it was. So this is the, the the point I wanted to make, is that I view from this day the war in Ukraine as a height of proportion that I've never seen in the history. That, that's... That's my
2: point. Well, uh, I, I can't uh, I can't dispute the hype point. And uh, if the IMF are ready to give 700 billion dollars to Ukraine, then more fool them. Uh, they'll certainly never get it back, and most of the Ukrainian people will never see a cent of it. Uh, this is the most corrupt country in Europe, being pumped full of endless amounts. Of European and North American taxpayers' money. More fool them, more fool us for putting up with it. At a time when our own people can't pay their bills, won't be able to run their cars, won't be able to afford their domestic heating, never mind their employers being able to uh, continue to run their factories, workshops, mines and mills and distribute their products around and there'll be little point in doing so because no one will have the money to pay for it so something's gotta give as the Americans say and I think it's the Western politicians that are going to have to give Draghi the Italian Prime Minister has been as I predicted dragged off the stage uh, the Prime Minister of uh, EU candidate member Albania is uh, imminently to be toppled Uh, the bulgarian government has already been brought down Uh, macron has lost his majority boris johnson lost his seat and joe biden lost his marbles and uh, i could go on Uh, so they're going to have to give russia is winning the war very comprehensively indeed i believe that its war aims will have increased uh, considerably given the uh, whole set of circumstances which we now have. Once upon a time I thought that Russia would stop at the River Dnieper and the country would be divided into East and West Ukraine, uh, and uh, like uh, North and South Korea, except in this case it would be the western part of Ukraine that was effectively the North Korea. It would be economically uh, a basket case all the industries in the East, most of the agriculture is in the East and Russia now holds virtually the whole seaboard uh, which would make Western Ukraine a landlocked country but I I no doubt if they will uh, stop there. I think they'll continue the war until they have uh, liberated Transnistria from any danger of Moldovan revanchism. I think they will want to see a change in the government in Kiev and that might very well be coming. I think the military brass in the Ukrainian Armed Forces uh, will not for much longer put up with being sent like cannon fodder into the guns. This is not the charge of the light brigade Uh, this is much much worse than the charge of the light brigade. So a coup in Kiev uh, should not be ruled out but I don't see an end to the war any time soon, although I hear the same rumors that you do, and I know as much or as little about the intentions of the Kremlin as you do. Thanks for the call. Kyle is in Topanga. Where's Topanga, Kyle?
1: Topanga is in Los Angeles County, but I don't like to call myself from Los Angeles. Topanga is a separate community, and it's uh, very different from Los Angeles. It's-
3: how wonderful how nice
1: wonderful. people here <laughs> well Excellent. I must say Excellent. that uh, Go ahead. Uh, I was uh, astounded to hear such sanity uh, anywhere from anyone and of course you're often a proponent in fact always a proponent uh, of such sanity as well but to hear to hear it said so clearly and so definitively uh, that the United States has made a tremendous error in allowing Our president, our crippled, brain-damaged president, to wander about the Middle East, fist-bumping murderers and evil criminals. The mind boggles to see this. And And I frankly say now, it is time for the United States to awaken from its stupor and impeach Joe Biden. I am no Republican. I do not vote for Republicans, but in the inevitable avalanche uh, that is going to happen in, in our elections here in the midterms, uh, against the Democrats who have, in less than two years, <laughs> ruined our economy, <laughs> made it so that it's almost impossible for the average American to survive on a uh, on a normal level. I know so many people who are hurting badly now because the price of gas has at the very least, doubled, Uh, and there are so many other issues. Uh, Los Angeles is all about cars, and very few people here still have electric cars. We're all still operating on gasoline. Without gasoline, we can't get to work, and so there are people cutting back, economizing everywhere, frantically trying to figure out how to borrow some money again to pay their bills. So now we're in a state, I believe, of, of, of advanced collapse. The fist bump, I think, is likely to go down in history as the beginning of the end. To see a man who had uh, railed against Salman, the crown prince, uh, and, and said he was a murderer, and rightly so, and then take it all back just for the expediency of oil, which the United States does not even need. We are an exporter of oil. Well, this is this exactly. is the thing that very few American exactly. people understand.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, Carl. Uh, that was a hell of a call. If Professor Miranda's was a hell of an interview, and it was, yours was a hell of a call. And the words that you have chosen, I think, uh, will ring out across the world, and will always be remembered. The fist bump is the beginning of the end and I agree with that I should say that I would not have criticized Biden for shaking hands with MBS you have to do that in normal political and diplomatic discourse but a fist bump is much more intimate than a handshake it is like watching your mother kissing another man on the lips. It is something deep and profound. And he did it. And it will never be forgotten. Let's hear from uh, the uh, wonderful Caroline in Cope Bridge, the holy ground. Go ahead, Caroline. Yes,
6: good evening, George. It's about the 12th of July good celebrations. Evening. Now, IID is Irish, with my mother being Irish, right? And what it was, what it is is my partner was over there. He's a, J- a ranger supporter, but it was his nephew's birthday, and it happened to be on the 12th of July. Now, he hasn't seen anything like that before, right? And he watched the TV, and this lady, 72. to 2, has been going to these parades for 50 years, and she said that she's got three friends, one from where my mother was born, County Mayo, one from Donegal, and a friend from Sligo, and they come and they celebrate it as well. Now, I would like to the interviewer to have asked, can I speak to your three friends, the idea of me sitting and watching my flag, the tricolor being burned, that's my first flag. The second flag, my tire doesn't bear thinking about. Now, one of them had an effigy your yourself on it. One had the Pope on it, right, and they had numerous tricolors. Now, I, I know for a fact, right, if I built a bonfire and I was building a burning English flag or the... Union Jack, some people call it an onion jack, mm. whereas uh, some people most people call it the butcher's aprons in coatbridge Bridge. So I find it very difficult that in the twelfth of July in Ireland, right, they're building big bonfires, they've got an FJAU, they've got the Pope, they've got anybody that's against the uh, United Ireland, anybody, doesn't matter who they are, right? Now if I was Well look, I'll tell people, you what,
2: Caroline. I I am content to be burned in effigy alongside His Holiness, the Pope. Me and Francis, we are like that. And if these idiots are burning effigies of us, then God sees what they are doing. God knows everything. It is indeed not just a shame. It's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment to the fine Protestant people. Uh, of Northern Ireland. It's an embarrassment to uh, their own community as well as to the island of Ireland and to the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. It's an embarrassment. It's cringeworthy and I was almost sorry that you talked about it because all over the world people are watching this show and they'll now be scratching their head and trying to work out how an effigy of George Galloway and an effigy of the Pope Francis are being burned tonight on the 12th of July in a part of Ireland—it is cringe-worthy. It truly, truly is. Caroline, thanks for the call.
3: Last call is Mike in South Carolina. Go ahead, Mike. Hey George, it's great to talk to you again. I. Uh, I actually sent you a uh, uh, an email regarding uh, the BRICS countries and what their response should be, but I wanted to talk to you about uh, Biden's trip and, and why I think eves might be wrong about the situation in Ukraine. Uh, uh, I think Biden, if he if he had any balls and believed what he said at all, he would remove all troops and cut all military support from Saudi Arabia. That's not going to happen. Uh, the other thing about that situation is, uh, as somebody else mentioned, Saudi Arabia may not be able to pump any more oil. They may be at peak production. Uh, But regarding the uh, situation in uh, Ukraine, I I can't see the Russians just drawing a line and stopping as long as all of the Western uh, countries keep pumping uh, billions and billions and billions of dollars of of offensive weaponry into uh, Ukraine. I mean, you're just asking for all that stuff to come to the front line and be put against you. So I don't see they have any option. I'm trying
2: to stop No, I'm with you
3: on that, Mike. I think they're going to go
2: all the way. Uh, Galloway Radar donated £17.99, says, stick this in your battle bus, George. Thanks very much for that. And Ashur Banipal donated $9.99, and says, George is a Colossus Moats is the best show on earth, God bless you, thanks. Jason Stewart donated £8.99, says, Dear George, you're looking exceptionally dapper today, thank you for the mother of all talk shows, my wife turns me up well. And uh, I'm running out of time, Uh, this is of course truncated uh, as a result of holidays, I'm actually on holiday, I should be on the beach but... There's so much happening, I can't possibly come off air. But next week, we'll be on for an hour and a half rather than just the hour because we've got some staff coming back. I'll be with you on Wednesday night at 10 p.m. UK time on YouTube for The Galloway Show. If not, I'll see you next week for notes. Thanks for watching.